if you rush these things, you can really damage any sense of long-term relationship with people. And I think you need to think more widely of the implications of your actions to other people. I didn't even consider how my birth mother would feel. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show, you'll hear the journey of Louise. She called me from London, England, so at times you may have to listen closely to hear her voice through the connection. But what you'll hear is the story of a woman whose youthful curiosity about her biological mother led her courageously and impulsively straight to her mother's door. Louise's poorly thought out approach in her 20s may have cost her the deep relationships that a more cautious and measured approach could have yielded and put her in some very uncomfortable situations. Her journey has repetitive rejections on three fronts after locating her biological mother, father, and uncovering the news that she also had a sister. However, Louise now has some sage wisdom for other adoptees and her own adopted children about their own possible journeys through reunification. Louise's heritage is a racial mix of white English descent on her birth mother's side and Jamaican English descent on her birth father's side. Louise's parents had already adopted an older brother, then her, followed by two more multiracial children. They were very open about adoption, partially because they all looked very different from one another. Each child's individual adoption situation was their business to discuss with their parents if they chose to. Louise was able to grow up with comforting information about her biological mother. Well, I was uh, born in 1978, and I was... um relinquished for adoption by my birth mother um, at birth, really. Um, she did change her mind. She went back and forth, but I never lost, left the hospital um, until I went to live with foster carers. And I was then adopted by two wonderful people. Um, it's worth noting that my birth mother's uh, of white English descent and my birth father is of Jamaican and English descent. And the people that I was adopted by, um, who I refer to as mum and dad, uh, are actually white English. And um, I believe it was about six months after um, I was born, I was then placed with my parents. They already had adopted a a child, um, an older brother, who's uh, just under 18 months older than me, of the same heritage. And um, they obviously went on to adopt two more dual heritage, mixed race, I don't know the correct terminology, mm-hmm. uh, children. And we grew up, you know, always knowing we were adopted. They were, I mean, it was a bit hard for them to um, hide it because we all looked so different. Yeah. But they were always incredibly open about, you know, being adopted, about our birth mothers. I don't know so much about my brother's birth mothers. I mean, I was, you know, quite selfishly and quite rightly, I think my parents didn't necessarily share that information with us because it was for the individual child. It wasn't, you know, everybody else's business. But uh, for me, my mum always spoke about my birth mum. She actually met her, which I think really helped me growing up, knowing that my mum had a positive view uh, of my birth mother. So, 
I mean, growing up, we were no different from any other family, as far as we could tell, because for us, that was the norm. We went on adoption uh, days out with other children that happened to be adopted that my mum's still friends with, you know, 30-odd years later. So we were very much, we were, at the time, there weren't many mixed-race or dual-heritage children around where we lived. But as time grew on, there were, you know, more and more, you know, were present. So... We had a happy childhood. I mean, all the angst of being a young lady was there. Mm -hmm. I think being adopted did play a little bit of a role in me being a little bit more uncertain of myself or emotions. But my mum had always, and my dad, had always spoken highly of my birth mother and answered any questions I had, you know, very, very honestly. Tell me a little bit about your, your teen angst as it applied to being an adoptee? How do you think that it played in, in terms of your identity and sort of coming of age? Well, I think everyone to a degree who doesn't know where they come from wants to know, do they look like somebody? Have they got the same, you know, resemblance to somebody else? And I think for me that was quite important because, you know, my friends grew up knowing that they looked like, you know, their mum or their dad or their aunt or their uncle. Whereas I had, I really did have no nobody that looked you know that much like me apart from my brothers but we were all non-blood related brothers mm -hmm. and sisters so that was quite tricky um i know it affected one of my brothers more so than it did myself but i remember i do you know really remember thinking who do i look like because people used to comment and say to my parents to my mom you know oh she looks like you <laughs> and i used to think oh well i'm sure i don't <laughs> but i think it just made <laughs> I mean, it just made me more self-conscious, I suppose. And, and you do wonder. But then I, I remember, it's really strange, but I remember going somewhere with my dad. Or in the, I was in the front of the car with my dad. And he does this thing where he clicks his uh, forefinger and his thumb together. And I just noticed, I was thinking, I do that. So that was kind of, I know that sounds really silly, but that was kind of a really big reassurance for me because it was, I was similar to somebody else, mm -hmm. but they just happened to not be biologically related. Yeah. But I suppose I was just inquisitive about my birth mother. I got all the answers I could, but I wanted to know more. Louise says that her search for her biological mother began with a haphazard impulse. Her adopted mother maintained contact with someone who knew her biological mother. And that was all Louise needed for her impulsivity to take over. But impulsivity, without some forethought, can lead to trouble. The moment of reunification turned out to be completely different than Louise expected it to be. It was before my 21st birthday. And I knew that my mum had taken a copy of my birth certificate. And I knew my mum had kept in contact with somebody who knew my birth mother. So she was able to keep tabs on her as I grew up. And she said to me, I don't know what house number she lives at, but she lives in this road. And if you ever want to find her, I will help you. I don't know how I can help you, but I'll help you. And one day um, I was with my friend and we were wondering what to do for the day, as you do. And I said, well, why don't we just go down and try and find her? Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't think it through. And so off we trotted uh, down into another part of London, into Fulham, and I knocked on her door. I got out the car, my friend remained in the car, and I just got out the door and knocked on her front door. And, uh, yeah, opened a can of worms that I can't seem to, you know, ever re-lid or 
got to step back from, I suppose. Tell me a little bit about that moment right before you sort of went up to her door. So what did it feel like? You're walking up. You probably didn't quite grasp the gravity of what you were about to unleash. Like, what did you think as you walked up to her door? Well, I think the magnitude of what I was about to do um, and the implications it ha- would have on everybody, because it's not just on me, it was completely lost on me. I, I really did not think it through. And that's something I deeply regret. I mean, if I could do it differently now, obviously I would. You know, my children are both adopted and I would absolutely, you know, encourage them to do it the better way. Nevertheless, what's done is done. But I, you know, I thought, you know, it'd be nice to see her. And I don't think really I'd got past that that thought process I knew I had questions I didn't know what those questions were and I didn't know what the answers could be but I knew I felt that she would be able to give me this one thing whatever it may be that I needed answering and I suppose selfishly that's what I continue to think right up until I press the doorbell so you press the doorbell what happened next <laughs> brace yourself so I rang the doorbell and <laughs> a little girl came to the front door and she must have been about eight years old and you know and I just said to her you know is Pamela there I used her surname and she said absolutely nothing she just stood staring at me and then a man came to the door and said you know and I said the same is you know is Pamela there and he kind of didn't say anything and in the background I could see this woman walking from one room to another and I just knew I just knew that was her I'd seen a picture of her maybe nine years before She'd done a letterbox contact with my mum. I chose not to do it. My mum did it to share some information. And I'd seen a picture. She had a completely different hair colouring. But I just knew I just knew it was her. And the man kind of just said, yes, hold on a minute, darling. I'll go and get her. And it was kind of at that point I realised I had not thought this through. So she then comes to the door and I just panicked. And I just said, look, I'm really sorry, but I think I've actually got the wrong person. I'm really very sorry. Um, thanks very much. Have a nice day. Take care. Turned to walk across the road to where my car was, and she started calling out my name that she named me at birth, which was Tracy, and just said, you know, Tracy, Tracy, is that you? Is that you? And at that point, I thought, well, I can't really lie. And um, I just turned around, and she threw her arms around me and said, come in, come in, because I said, oh, my friend's in the car. I can't come in, can't come in. And I, it's really weird because I specifically remember going, as soon as I hugged her, I went, oh, as if to cry, because I thought that's what, I, you know, that's what, I've been waiting for this moment for 20 years, I'm definitely going to cry, and nothing came out. Wow. I remember holding on to her, thinking, this is not right, something's not right, something's not right, and, and, and then the moment carried on, but I specifically remember feeling, at this point in time, I've seen the films, you know, I've watched Annie. Watch all of these programs, and at that exact moment is when you're supposed to, you know, be a blubbering wreck. Right. Nothing. I had nada. I had nothing to give. And she kept saying, you know, let's get your friend, let's get your friend, uh, you know, your granddad's in the front room and he's dying. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. Oh, boy. Wait, you showed up at the door, and (laughs) the first thing she says is bring your friend inside and your grandfather's in the front room and he's dying? I shouldn't laugh, but I kid you not. Wow. It seems so unmovie-like. Louise was in a panic. Her friend was patiently waiting for her in the car, and Louise was trying to use her presence as an excuse to have to leave. But her birth mother was insistent that they both come inside. With care, her friend said she had Louise's back, so they went inside. 
and we walked in the house and sure enough her father was lying in on a bed in the front room um dying and he just took my hand and i'd read a file on him and he wasn't a very nice man and he held my hand he said you know that's my greatest wish that she'd find you and i'm really pleased and a couple of months later he actually died so on that particular day when i first met her we went into the kitchen and she you know she was very tactile she couldn't i suppose she couldn't believe it was me and she showed me photographs that my mum had given sent her through a letterbox contact of me growing up so she had still been to an so you know a degree in my life i'd been part of her life which i thought was really nice actually mm-hmm. and um she then phoned a couple of relatives and then went upstairs and came down with uh a ridiculous amount of gold and jewellery and diamonds and cash and and kept saying, I want you to have it, I want you to have it. And obviously, I, you know, I, I said, no, thank you. You know, you don't need to pay me. I, You know, I just want to know who you are. Her birth mother wanted to take Louise to meet her sister, Louise's aunt, just down the road. So she and her friend followed her mother in their car. But Louise had a feeling she was in real trouble. Unfortunately, she was right. And we went to her sister's house, went in and I met her sister and a cousin and, you know, I hugged and said hello to my biological aunt's uh, partner was there and he was making racist comments. And this all tied in to what I'd read in the information my parents had about my biological family, that it was quite a history of racism. So I was kind of pre-exposed to this as soon as I arrived at this relative's house and I then just walked out and said, I've got to go. And we went back to her house and we chatted for a couple of hours. So you, wow, this thing spiraled out of control quickly. My gosh, the, the your biological mom basically tries to buy your love, showering you with all kinds of jewelry and cash as her own father lay in the front room dying. And then she whisks you off to a family member's house where they end up dropping racist comments. You must have thought this is the craziest situation you could have put yourself in. Yeah, I mean, if you read all the books or watch all the television programs about reuniting with relatives, this is not in the script. You kind of, unfortunately, after a couple of years of, you know, getting to know her, I realised that I couldn't shut the door, even though I kind of wanted to. And there was an issue because she'd never, ever talked to me about my biological father. And I'd ask and I'd ask and she'd say, I'm not telling you, I'm not, I'm not going to speak to you for, you know, months now. She wouldn't, she just wouldn't speak to me because I'd upset her. And then one day my, uh, her, the, her partner who lived there and opened the door, she phoned me up and said, look, I think you have a right to know who it is. This is who he is. This is where he works that I can recollect. You know, you've got to do what you've got to do, but you can't ever mention I've given this information to you. And uh, she now knows, obviously, but she wouldn't talk to me for months because I'd, I'd opened another can of worms asking about my heritage, about my father. Armed with her father's name and other identifying information, young, impulsive Louise set out again, this time to meet her biological father. She did some investigating of her own, then she reached out to him out of the blue. She was on a quest for a better experience than the one with her biological mother. And I found out where he lived, what he did, and um, and I phoned him at work. And I said, you know, were you in this area in the you know late 1970s? Did you know this lady called Pamela? Were you in a relationship with her? Yes, I was. And I said, well, I believe that, you know, I'm your daughter. 
Wow. And he said, oh, my God, can I think about this? And can I come back to you? And I thought, you know what? Yes, you can. You have that time and I'll, I'll contact you in a while and we'll go from there. But in the meantime, I think I because I was quite disappointed by what I'd found, I thought I've got to find someone else who I can relate to who's on the same wavelength. or Yeah, something more positive has to come out of this, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So in the interim, Louise decides that she wants to review her own adoption record at the social services office. But first, she called her mother to see if there was anything she wanted to tell Louise before she reviewed her records. The answer was no. A few weeks later, Louise called her mother again to inform her that she was going to review her record the very next day. And to double check that her mother truly didn't want to share anything more. And if you've lied, we're going to have a bit of an issue. So I really appreciate it. There's nothing that you can do that will make me dislike you. And, you know, nothing can change the fact that I am your biological daughter. So, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you could tell me. And she said, no, there's absolutely nothing in there. And I went with my husband to um, Hannah Smith. Before I had my file, she handed it to me. The social worker said, something, 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 your sister. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I think you've got the wrong file. She said, no, I haven't. She said, your sister. I said, honestly, I don't have a sister. I am her only biological child. And so she said, I'm really sorry. I think I have got the wrong file. And off she went. And she came back a few moments later and she said, I'm really sorry. She said, you have a right to know you are not her only child. So at that point, then I was emotional. I was very, very upset. There's a note in there that I had a biological sister who was born five years before I was and placed for adoption at birth. Wow. And I I just couldn't take that in. That was just too much. And I rang her on the way home, and I said, I'm letting you know I've seen my file. Is there anything in there you think you should have told me? And she said, nope. I said, okay, that's fine. Went home and just burst into tears. I remember my mum coming around, and, you know, she was like, I can't believe she wasn't honest with you. That's really, you know, it's really disappointing. Maybe there's a reason you don't know why she's not telling you. You know, we all have our secrets, but, you know, get used to the idea and then then maybe perhaps, you know, broach it with her again. And just tell me what you were thinking about in terms of your sister. You've now found out that you've got a sibling that you didn't know you had. Like, what did that feel like? It was very upsetting because I felt that I'd missed out on something I'd always wanted. So I'm one of four, but I'm the only girl. I'd always fantasized as a child, always wishing to have a sister and have that connection that sisters supposedly have. And, you know, instead of having to, you know, wrestle with boys and play football kind of thing, you know, it would have been nice to have had that relationship. And I was concerned that she was well, uh, that she was still alive. But had she been as fortunate as I had with my family, was she adopted by family that shouldn't really have adopted? You know, does she know anything about me? Probably not. I suppose I was very confused and very conflicted and I was very angry as well at my birth mum for feeling she couldn't tell me. I think at that point my views on adoption changed slightly because I did think out of all of this, adoptees, they really don't get any choice. It's all put on them. And I feel that I've missed out on having that sister. And so she, for quite some time, you know, for probably about eight months, I really struggled with knowing what was real and what wasn't because for all my life I'd been a birth mother's only child and that had kind of shaken me to my core. Louise decided she wanted to meet her biological father. She's read her adoption file and she felt confident that the man she has already spoken with was really her father. 
Yeah, and I knew it was him. I knew he was my father because it, this, these notes were written in 1977 and he's in it and it's about how my biological grandfather had chased him with a knife because he was, uh, you know, he wasn't white and yeah. he'd, you know, got this, you know, his daughter pregnant and it was not acceptable. And so I'd read all of this and I knew it was him and I went and met him and we met for a while and he was, quite honestly, the out of everybody, I think at that point he was the biggest disappointment. He said, "I don't want you in my life. All you want is, you know, my money." And I said, "Listen, if I want money, I have my own money. If I needed money, I could go to my parents, for example, or I could go to the bank. You know, I'm not after your money. I'm just after finding out about my medical history and finding out who you are." You know, we share the same DNA, and he just wasn't interested. He wasn't a very nice person, and, and it was really disappointing. And he asked me not to contact him again, and I assured him that would be the last thing. And I told him about my biological sister, um, and because he was the same father, because if you read the notes, that's what it said. And he basically said, I would be happy to find her, but I don't want anything to do with you. And I... No, that was kind of crushing. Wow. Are you <laughs> serious? Time, so. He said he would be ashamed to be your father. He said he wanted nothing to yeah. do with you, but he'd be happy to meet your sister. How could he even say that? Like, he doesn't even know either of you. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I mean, I, honestly, I was deeply hurt by that. That was kind of like a second rejection. You know, you've been rejected already and this really is cementing that your value is nothing. And it wasn't until I went home and I called my mum, as we often do, mm -hmm. um, and my mum and dad came round and they sat with me and they said, look, at the end of the day, he's got his own family now, he's got his own children, he probably doesn't want to disrupt that unit that he has now, he's probably never mentioned his past to them, and, you know, if he doesn't want to know you, that's his loss. If people reject you, that's their problem, you know. Yeah, that's And my right. dad said they could get to know you and not like you when they get to know you, and he said that would be far more painful he said, but he doesn't know you and he doesn't know the qualities and, and why we love you. And his loss is as selfish as it sounds, our gain. So, you know, and I see him every so often because we live really, we live within five miles of each other. Oh, no. Um, so I see him every so often, yeah. So in the car, when we're in the car and stuff. So that, and that's fine. And, you know, I, I wish him no ill will. I hope he has a long and healthy life because that means i'm probably more likely to but, um, <laughs> i want him to be happy you know what you know to the bare bones of it i hope that he is a better father to his daughter that he has now than he could ever have been to me i had the best father and i, I just hope that he's even half of the father my father was to me so i wish him well and you know that's that's it with him wow. really You've you've come a long way in healing from that journey because those were some devastating blows you were dealt. And for you to be able to still say positive things is an indication of your own character, your own upbringing and 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 the fact that you've you know made done some healing from this whole thing to find her sister. Louise also used the local social services authority. A social worker contacted Louise's sister for her. Then her sister emailed a reply to the invitation to connect. Rejection was in the air again. It was Louise's turn to reply to her sister. She sent an email that made her sister slightly less callous to Louise's original outreach. 
basically I found her to the local authority that she was based with the agency and I had a social worker that then contacted her. She contacted the social worker back and I received an email and the email said something along the lines of, I hope you're well, I hope you're happy. I've looked into this. I was going to meet my biological mother years ago. You know, I went to see my adoption file. I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with you. So at this point, I was furious and I wrote back through the, you know, through an intermediary. And I said, you know, I thought you'd have more courtesy to answer the questions I've asked you, especially if you're not going to make the effort to meet me. That's fine. But I want to know that you are okay. I want, I'd like to know you had a happy childhood. I'd like you to know that none of this is my doing. I'm younger than you. I didn't know of your existence, but you know, the door is always open. If you, you know, you wish to, you know, reconnect, I am here. Uh, all I wanted to do was know you were happy, know what you look like, because that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I'd also wanted to know what her hairstyle was like, you know, as random as that sounds, I just did. <laughs> and she sent back a much more courteous email saying, you know, I did have a happy childhood. You know, I've lived in Sweden, I've lived in Switzerland, I'm trilingual, I'm this, I'm that. And I just thought, you know what, she's happy and that's fine and I'm pleased you're happy. I'm deeply hurt, but I, I'm I'm pleased that you're happy. And then I think it was my husband who worked it out, but the timing of when she was about, when she was kind of looking at her adoption file is when I was in contact with my birth mother for the first time. I think what happened is she's gone to look at her adoption record. So she's been in contact with a local authority at the same time. I believe within two months of me searching my biological mother, finding her. So if my biological mother had said, look, you've got a sister, this is all I know, this is where she was adopted, I would have gone to that agency at the same time she was open to finding out about her biological yeah. family. But because my birth mother chose not to tell me, it took me several years later, and by which time, you know, she's moved on, closed the door, and is living her life happily, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, man, that's the worst. If she had just said something. Oh. It's just unlucky, I think. You know, I, I told my birth mum that I've met. I've tried to get hold of her. I've told her she's not interested. And, you know, she, my birth mother didn't talk to me for several months again, you know, because I've upset her. And Thankfully, nearly every story has a silver lining. And decades later, Louise is able to recognize the blessings of the life she and her brothers have led when juxtaposed with a hurtful set of reunification results. I got married and my parents threw an engagement party and uh -huh. my parents insisted on my brother attending. So my birth mother came to my engagement party and obviously met my parents 20 odd years later. And then I got married and my parents insisted that she came to the wedding. How was that for and you, for her to be included in all your stuff? Do you know, I didn't mind because I would do anything to make my parents happy because they are my parents and I want them to be happy. And part that our wedding day wasn't just about us, it was about people that we loved. And I, it was important for them to recognize that my birth mother's loss was their gain. And they wanted to recognize that and have her... Even though she's missed so much of my life, they still felt that she should be part of my life. They wanted her to feel included. So, you know, when my dad got up and said his speech to, you know, Father the Bride, you know, he recognised her. You know, she had a standing ovation. She got flowers. Whatever happens, I am her daughter. I've got two sets of parents. You know, I've got my mum and my dad, and I've got another mum. 
I feel like I owe her because she relinquished me. And look at the life I've had, you know. I've adopted two wonderful children. I'm married. You know, I've got a nice life. You know, without her, you know, making that decision of being selfless, I would have had a very difficult life being a dual heritage or mixed race child living in a family where there was lots of racism. And I think I've got the best end of the deal here, really. So I think I can put up with a few bumps in the road in our relationship, if that means but I've had a, you know, had an, I've had a good life, really. I I agree. I can see how if you had grown up in a family or extended family that had racist tendencies, your life would have been a completely different scenario. That would have been highly stressful. And for you to have been removed from that situation, placed into a home where transracial adoption and, you know, sort of cross-cultural interactions were the norm, that is so much more healthy than it sounds like the environment that you even like barely dipped a toe into and probably just felt burned immediately. I mean, you must feel so lucky. (laughs) You know, I I am lucky. I am incredibly, I'm blessed. I'm absolutely blessed. I mean, I have two parents that are, you know, we clashed. I was a naughty teenager. I misbehaved. But (laughs) they were so... Fantastic. I mean, my mum tried, bless her. We all came from, so we're all white English and from another um, Caribbean island. So my mum would have Caribbean days. So one of my brothers from St. Lucia, so she'd decorate the dining room in St. Lucian flag. She'd try to make those traditional foods from, I mean, it wasn't good. But I would try to make, you know, traditional Barbadian, St. Lucian, Jamaican, you know, meals. She did her best. She was able to provide a stable, loving, consistent and safe environment. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I am, you're right, I am there. So what has happened in your family that you love so much? You guys have experienced as a group your reunification and the, and the challenges therein. Has it brought you guys closer together? What has it done for your brothers? Just tell me what the aftermath has been for your own family. Well, I think one of my brothers is in contact with his birth mother, so I know I know that. My other brother, no interest. He's happy with his life, and he feels no need to search or seek other people. And my third brother is interested, but then he's, he's not made an effort. So I suppose we do talk about it. Uh, we did more so when we were younger, and kind of it brought us together in the sense I felt more grateful for what I had, realising what could have been. Yeah. That's a great place to be, actually, when something adverse happens and it makes you more thankful for the things that you already have. That's actually a highly positive outcome, in my opinion. I asked Louise about her advice to other adoptees about their attempts at reunion. She has admitted that she followed some impulsivity into reunion, so I was curious about her guidance to others based on her own experiences. Louise related her guidance back to what she tells her own adopted children. You know, they, they know they're adopted. We're open with them. We've met their birth mothers where we've legally been allowed to. You know, adoption is spoken freely within our home. It's not something that's to be ashamed of. It's something to be embraced and recognised. And if, you know, they struggle with being adopted and they don't, you know, have the same feelings that I did, I was very positive about my adoption, then that's fine. Let's get them the help that they need to understand. And it's okay. I always tell my daughter... 
it's okay to miss your birth mother. Do you know what? I bet you she bloody well misses you as well. I think it's about understanding that it's she doesn't love me any less because she misses her birth mum. It's, she, you know, she's allowed to feel that pain and that sense of loss and rejection. And it's about me giving her the self-esteem and support to know, you know what, when you're older, you want to find her, we'll find her. You know, I'll do it. I'll move heaven and earth to find your birth parents if that's what you want to do. And I would always tell them to take it slowly, to be prepared that it's not, you know, it's not going to be flowers and rainbows and, you know, all the exciting things. It might be if it is, that's fantastic. But understand that there is an unbreakable bond between a biological mother, maybe a father, and that child. And understand that for them, you'll still always be that child, but to take it as slowly as physically possible because if you rush these things you can really damage any sense of long-term relationship with people and I think you need to think more widely of the implications of your actions to other people I didn't even consider how my birth mother would feel or the people she lived with I didn't even consider that she may not have told anybody that she had children and I didn't consider the impact on my parents as much as they were open and loving I hadn't considered their feelings of me finding my biological roots and I think that's something that people should be aware of is how you do it and the wider impact of your actions because once you've done it there is no there is truly there is no way of going back once you've opened that door it is well and truly opened and you have to live with those consequences so take your time there is no rush you've waited this long a little while longer will do you no harm that's really sound advice and I totally agree I mean even from my own experience and with some of the experiences that I've heard of others, you just, you have to absolutely mentally prepare for all possibilities and eventualities. And no matter which one you predict is going to be yours, you're probably going to be wrong. Absolutely. Well, Louise, thank you so much for taking time to share your story. This has been really surreal. I I had no idea that you were going to bring this many different angles of reunification and how it can be such a challenge, honestly. I'm sorry that those folks did not find it within themselves to be truthful, to be accepting, but it sounds like you've really reached a point in your life where you're just like, look, this is me, and uh, you got to take me or leave me because I'm going to be happy either way, and I, I really am glad for you that you reached that point. Absolutely. Thank you. I really do think it's about loving yourself and once you can accept and love yourself it doesn't really matter if nobody else does or or anyone else's views so it's just about trying to be happy life isn't a competition i hope we all make it we've just got to all try and find the positive in everything thank you very much for speaking to you again of course louise take care all the best to you and your family and you take care hey it's me Louise has really come a long way in her journey. It began decades ago with an impulsive outreach to her biological mother that started off poorly when she was introduced to the racism that could have been part of her life, but ended well with her parents inviting her birth mother to her wedding years later. But along the way, her father summarily rejected her existence while oddly embracing Louise's sister's existence. I really felt like he correlated the traumatic experience of racial discrimination and everything that happened before Louise's birth with her, and wasn't able to separate her as a person from the attacks her biological family levied against him. 
I was really glad to hear that after a contentious email exchange with her half-sister, Louise was able to convince her to share a little bit about her life because all Louise really wanted was to know that her sister was okay. Today, Louise stands strong in a loving marriage with adopted children that she has the in-depth experience to support through their adoption journeys. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Louise's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting to your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at WAI Really.